Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast, a podcast about zoos, aquariums, animal enrichment, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kyle Benton-Jones, zookeeper, animal lover, enrichment builder, and creator of wildenrichment.com. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Uh, today, I am joined with Amanda Goble, and uh, she runs a page called Enriching Equines, and uh, she has uh, very graciously joined us today to talk a little bit about equine enrichment and some of the other topics that we're both uh, equally passionate about. So thanks for coming on, Amanda. Oh, it's, it is great to be on the podcast. Um, I was really, really happy to be asked. Um, I've followed your um, presence online for quite a while, both in the zoo world and also your work with horses as well. Um, so it's a shared background, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. So, uh, no, I'm always excited to see when people are, uh, you know, passionate about uh, behavioral husbandry and animal welfare, especially uh, in the horse world, because I think, uh, as we'll talk about, there's some different things going on in that sort of uh, industry and, um, you know, things that we both uh, sort of deal with. So, uh, yeah, why don't we start, um, you know, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and why you started enriching equines and sort of the lowdown on that. Yeah, um, so I am, uh, I'm a working zoo professional. Um, I'm in the industry and based in the United States. Uh, and, you know, I also have been a horse person for most of my life. Um, so I started riding and having horses in my early teens, and they've just been a presence in and out of my life um, from then until now. And you know, working in the, um, I, I work at an aquarium in the Eastern United States and that uh, the animal care world is, is really different on a professional level than a lot of what is going on in the equine world, but there are also some similarities. And I started wondering why those differences are the way they are and finding that there wasn't a lot of resources available for behavioral husbandry. Um, for horse owners and trainers and managers. And I wanted to change that. So enrichment is a passion. And I decided to just create something that would hopefully be a resource. And it's taken off. And that is so amazing to see. Yeah, no, and, and uh, as I've started to sort of um, target the equine enrichment world, your pages were like one of the first that I came across because they are um, popular on Instagram. You have some great content out there. Um, I'll have links to uh, Amanda's page in the uh, show notes as well, just if you want to check that out. I would recommend, especially if you have a horse or know somebody that has a horse. Um, so yeah, and you, and you briefly mentioned it. Um, I, I've always felt the same way. And there's this sort of disconnect between behavioral husbandry in um, you know, exotics in the zoo world versus a lot of the times what you see with domestic animals. And, you know, like in a way that it is, you know, enrichment is the done thing, especially at AZA accredited facilities and a lot of the bigger facilities. Every single animal is getting enrichment every day. There's behavioral husbandry. There's people that are their full-time job is to manage these behavioral husbandry programs. Um, there's all, all sorts of things like that. And then you get to the domestic world and, you know, there's barns that are very big and well-known and it's, it's not even something that, that is talked about, you know? So, uh, I, I felt weird about it because I had grown up 
uh, with horses and I lived on a horse farm and I had never heard about horse enrichment until I started working at a zoo. So when I stopped working with horses is when I actually heard about it for the first time. So, you know, what, what, why do you think there is this sort of disconnect? And I'd love to hear your sort of thoughts on that. You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that there, there are a couple of things that come into play and I, I think that when you work in a professional animal keeping capacity, the the natural history of the animal is something that you have to know in order to provide good care. Um, and so we sort of see these animals that we care for in a zoo or aquarium as wild animals. Um, when animals are domesticated, though, I think that it is it is easier to look at them as you know, with more of an anthropomorphic lens. And I think that a lot of folks uh, look at their domestic animals, their dogs, their cats, their livestock as as domestics more so than as animals. And that might be a weird way to put it, but they see horses as people that happen to have hooves and live in a barn. And we know that horses are just highly adapted grassland animals and they do have natural history needs. Um, and then another thing that I, I think is coming into play is that people who are in animal care professionally uh, are typically have a strongly scientific background and they also have experience with all kinds of different animals um, that they're caring for. But for domestic animals, there's not a lot of, of education that is available. And that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that people who have dogs or cats or horses are not educated people. It doesn't mean that they aren't brilliant at the things that they do, but there's, there's not a shared knowledge base about necessarily how these animals, um, how they have needs, how their behaviors uh, are supposed to uh, supposed to look, and how they're supposed to interact with each other. Uh, and so it's easier for their care, I feel like, to drift away from what we would consider what they need um, physically, but also behaviorally as well. Yeah, no, I, and yeah, that's that's a, a great answer. And you know, I, it's just a, it's a very stark disconnect because not only, you know, is there the, like, no one's really talking about enri enrichment and behavioral husbandry in a lot of these facilities. And, and don't get me wrong, there's tons of places that do a great job. Like there, you know, if you search it on Instagram, there's tons of places, but uh, in my experience, there's, and, you know, and I recently did like a search of all the different uh, job postings in barns and for stable hands and barn managers and stuff. And there wasn't any, and none of the requirements said anything about behavioral husbandry, right? Yeah. And when you're applying for a job at a, at a zoo, that's that's right there uh, near the top usually. So, um, and I've also heard about like a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, getting flack from other people at their barn when they're trying to do, you know, different training and uh, things outside of riding and, and stuff like that. But then these people go home and they give their dogs toys and stuff. You know, it, it's yeah. it's just a funny sort of why horses have been left out of this, because they're one of the more common domestic animals outside of cats and dogs. But mm -hmm. um, at least here anyway. But, uh, you know, and, and even in the dog, the dog world and the cat world and stuff, is at least like has advanced quite a bit most people have toys for the dogs but i don't think most people really say like oh i'm 
giving my dog enrichment. It's more, yeah. this is a toy for my dog and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's better than nothing, but in the horse world, it's this kind of disconnect verging on like discouraging people from doing it. Absolutely. Um, and there's also like, and even, even the way I feel like phrasing things like stable vices, uh, you know, is, is setting yourself up for failure because that sort of makes it sound like, oh, it's just some bad thing they do when they're in a stall kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and and we know, like working in, in zoos and aquariums, we know that like these are stereotypic behaviors, right? Like that that's what they are. So and why they why they start and all that stuff varies, but we, we don't try to cover it up by calling them stable vices. No. Um, so I, yeah, I just, I just think that's, uh, that's an interesting sort of mind frame that a lot of these places are in. And, um, do you encounter a lot of resistance in the stuff that you put out or like, or in your own personal life with, um, you know, what, what you're, I'm assuming you, uh, you own a horse and. I yeah. do. Yeah. Um, you know, and I am, I am very fortunate. I have a fantastic small stable that I board my horse at. It is, it's very close to where I live and, um, a barn manager who is really supportive, um, of clicker training and all of, all of the crazy things that I do and things that I put out in the pasture. Um, and so I, I have been very fortunate in a way that a lot of equestrians are not because I do see on social media and in online spaces, the number of people who say, you know, hey, I'm trying X, Y, and Z with my horse and I've received pushback at my stable or I'm feeling discouraged because socially there's, you know, it, it's just not part of the culture and now I'm being talked about by other people in the stable. Yeah. And that's just that is not, I think, a productive mindset. So it is something that I see. It's something that I, you know, I, I hope to empower people. And part of what Enriching Equines is all about is showing people how um, this stuff is doable and it's okay. And the more that we normalize it, I think the better off um, horses and other domestic livestock are going to be. Yeah, and, and that's that must be really tough for those people, uh, you know, at the at the barns they're at getting that that pushback because, you know, at least at a zoo and aquarium, like you're working on a team of people, and quite often it's not your entire team against you. And at the end of the day, you have the, you know, whatever it is, AZA guidelines or whatever body you're a part of you know, as your zoo and aquarium to sort of fall back on and be like, well, these are the these are the guidelines. This is what we have to do. It doesn't matter if you're for it or against it. No one cares. Yeah. Like these are the guidelines. This is what we're doing. And you, you don't have that. There's no, there's no net, like, you know, there's no care manual a lot of the times for, for horses or, or at least one that anybody reads, right? Like it's, there, there's lots of books out there saying this is how you take care of your horse. But I get, I bet you there's not a whole lot that say anything about behavioral husbandry. So, um, I'd love to hear more about, because uh, you mentioned like clicker training and stuff like that sure. with your horse. And I think that's, this is one of the most over, uh, underlooked um, sort of um, areas that you can enrich your horse uh, when you're spending time with them. Because most people have their eggs all in one basket with horses. It's like riding is the enrichment that they get. Um, so I'd love to hear more about the, the training that you do with your horse that's enriching and your thoughts on riding as an enrichment tool. And is it enriching for horses, do you think? 
Interesting. Yeah, those are um, those are two great questions. So um, for me personally, I like to work with my horse in the same way that I work with any of the animals that would be in my care, um, say at, at a zoo or a professional facility. And that means that, you know, we have certain expectations of what we can teach animals to do that help us take good care of them. And when we're doing our jobs right, that learning is really engaging for the animal. They have a great time. They want to offer behaviors. And in the horse world, it's, um, it is often a completely different ball game where you're expected to do things with horses that do involve a lot of force or at minimum are squarely in the quadrant of negative reinforcement that's what you know primarily horses are trained with is is pressure and release and i like to use um i like to stick in the positive reinforcement uh section of of operant conditioning as much as i can and so with my horse um i have you know just the exact same set of foundational behaviors that you would have on most zoo animals so um we have targeting we have stationing uh we have cooperative medical care so i need to be able to touch the horse everywhere um so i have uh he knows a voluntary um target uh ears to hand target eyes to hand um look inside the mouth you know while while standing still on station um lifting all four feet uh so that you know as so many horses struggle with their hoof care um they find it frightening they find it uncomfortable and it's really nice to be able to if i need to go out and do it without restraint um medical care is a big Absolutely. thing for me uh so in the event of an emergency i need to be able to put hands on my horse immediately so a recall behavior a um a haltering behavior and these things are so uh so foundational and yet so many horses struggle with them and a lot of the reason i feel that they're struggling is that the horses have no incentive to do these behaviors and it's our job you know you wouldn't think of walking up to a lion and saying well you're going to do this behavior now for me and i'm going to draw blood from your tail because i said you're going to do it and and we that just sounds so silly when you talk about a zoo animal um, and for some reason, it doesn't yeah. sound silly in the horse world. And that's that's real strange. Positive reinforcement changes the game. Mm. And I want to see more equestrians begin to use it. Um, so to answer your, your second question about whether I think that riding is enriching for horses, um, I... <laughs> I see a hornet's nest in front of me and I'm going to walk right up to it and I'm going to kick it right now. And I'm going to say most of the time, no. And now I'm going to, I'm going to explain exactly why that is. So we know that enrichment is meant to provide stimulation and relieve boredom, encourage, um, you know, physical motion a lot of the time, but its core is to encourage species appropriate behavior and moving around is absolutely a species appropriate behavior for a horse but most of the time when we are doing it with them in a riding capacity the horse is not calling the shots so most of the time if you are riding in traditional tack and you are 
getting the horse to to go where you want it to go at the speed you want them to go. You are definitely doing probably a good thing for the horse, more or less, for their body. Um, you're helping them be fit. You're helping them get motion. But the horse is not necessarily fully consenting to the process. Um, and that's probably through a long history of training for compliance. And they may not have been performing those uh, those activities um, and those behaviors, the walk, trot, canter, stop, back up, turn, if they were not in a ridden capacity. And that, I think, is the line. And that is the difference between that. That is why I do not think you cannot keep a horse in a stall for 23 hours a day, ride them for one hour and say, I have met this animal's need for stimulation because we had a riding workout, even if it was cardio, even if it was stretching and bending. Um, I just don't think we're hitting what we need to hit. That doesn't mean that riding is bad, but I think if you want to consider it enrichment for horses, it probably needs to be done in a framework where the horse has as much choice and agency and is saying yes uh, and is probably receiving some outside reinforcement um, in some capacity. So how's yeah, that no, for? I, I love, that's outstanding. I love both of those answers. And thank you for shaking that, hornet, that hornet's nest because I too, I know it's a hornet's nest and I've, def I've said very similar things uh, online and definitely not something that somebody wants to hear because uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people get horses because they love riding yeah. and they love horses, but it's like, do you like, this is part of the sort of, this is part of horse ownership, you know? And, and, uh, I think it's, it's the same as if you took your dog on a run to exhaust it. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like, oh, my dog's tired. That must mean it's fulfilled kind of thing. And and, sure. and this is the same sort of thing with with horses. And yeah, you're you're all in, and when you're not doing any sort of other enrichments, uh, yeah, all of your eggs are in one basket. And if your horses and as we mentioned, some horses definitely like being ridden more than others. Um, you know, I, in 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 my experience, like I on the farm I grew up on, we used to have like a summer camp and and all that stuff. And, you know, when I would go ride these horses because I wasn't a beginner and we'd, we'd gallop all over the place and we'd just sort of do all sorts of stuff, these horses were visibly more excited when I was riding them versus when there's uh, a seven-year-old kid that doesn't know anything about riding because they don't want to go around in circles for the next hour. No. So, and and I think there's ways of making it more enriching and and giving them more agency and more choice. These are things we talk about all the time in the zoo world is uh, giving the animal choice. This is a foundational principle of, of enrichment and overall well-being. Like if, if that horse feels like has no agency in its life and it can't make any decisions, you know, it's, go it's going into a stall that isn't fun. And then it's going out to a paddock with sometimes by itself or one other horse or something in, in a lot of scenarios that that's not fun and then it's and then what it's going on a ride that is borderline fun it's like that's not a that's not an, a life that you feel like you're getting the stimulation that you need and the and yeah displaying those natural behaviors and yeah i think that's that's you know super important to to talk about and the positive reinforcement thing is it, like the the use of negative reinforcement on a on a flight animal, on a very flighty animal, is so baffling to me. 
that it just it just doesn't make like because you know positive reinforcement is the best way to go we, we all know that in in the zoo worlds negative reinforcement has been used on a variety of animals for a long time and it's obviously a tool that does work to a certain extent uh, because people do train things unfortunately with negative reinforcement but the using that on a flight animal just doesn't make any sense to me because it, it just there's just one reaction a lot of the times with horses and that's to run away and then when you have them on a cross ties and all sorts of stuff like that it just it just makes an in, like a crazy a crazy scenario and one that no one wants to be in and i think one of the biggest things with uh with training your horse in general outside of riding um is people don't really know what's possible when you can you just it's just slow steps over time of positive reinforcement like when, when i see horse owners dragging their horse into a trailer because it hates being trailered and it's just like guys we get in the zoo world we get like jaguars to go into crates and yeah. give us blood like it, it it's so possible to train an animal to get onto a trailer like there's so many ways of making that of making that positive and and you hitting its ass with a with a rasp is, to get it in there is not the way to do it. And that's just it's just crazy that you see, especially like trailering companies and stuff. When you that's like the first resort, yeah. you know. And it's just like what what are we doing in this industry that you feel like that is the first thing that you should do, you know? Or the amount of farriers that they they smack a horse the first time it shifts its weight, kind of thing, while they're picking their hooves and and it's just like why is this your first? To your first tool in your tool belt like it, it, it it's crazy to me you know and and uh yeah and I, I it's you know like that on on a lot of levels unfortunately even the act of breaking a horse quote unquote is a a terrible term i i, I don't do, do you know of any of any places or have you heard of anybody that sort of uh does that sort of horse breaking like with positive reinforcement I'm oh, assuming places do that, but I... yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, um, there are, uh, I know that th there's actually one clinician that is fairly close to my area, which is wild to see because there is, I will say there's not a huge amount of it in the United States, but it is growing. Um, it is more of a presence, um, in, in my experience, it's been more of a presence in some European countries, in the United Kingdom, there's more of a footing, um, but it, it's rare. And I love to see it when, when I have the chance to see it. And I do follow um, accounts uh, for a couple of positive reinforcement trainers who do start horses from the ground up. And it is, it is so empowering to see just an animal that goes through mm -hmm. the entire process from start to being under saddle and, and isn't exhibiting fear. Um, and there's sort of, I think, this mentality that horses need to get scared so that they'll learn how to deal with stress. Yeah. And um, they're showing that that's not, that doesn't have to be part of the process. We wouldn't expect it to be part of the process with our other animals because we know that fear yeah. is counterintuitive. Um, and so I'm, I'm really happy to see that there's the number of people doing it is like this big, but it exists. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I just, uh, I just thought about that when we were when we were talking. But is there a better term besides breaking a horse? Is it called starting a horse? Is that yes. the sort of term when you're okay? Yeah. Um, because I feel like just the the foundation that you would build 
with that horse in that time that you were doing this this positive reinforcement version versus basically scaring the horse into learned helplessness to the point where it, it realizes you're not that bad of a person like it just seems like it would be monumentally different if you compared the two uh horses to each other you know coming out of that sort of experience like it would be uh night and day you're so it's probably surprising that there's not there's not more but i i hope that it does catch on because it's not it's not something that is uh uh it, for all the flack that zoos get for stuff it, it's surprising that more people don't say like hey why are we breaking horses the same way we did in medieval times like that just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense sure and you know i think there's a there's a really complicated swirl of beliefs um that that kind of surround this issue that i think are working against equestrians and one of them is that the idea that nowadays maybe we don't use cowboy methods um to start a horse you know where where you're riding them in one day like they may have done several decades ago right um the advent of of natural horsemanship and i'm saying that with with giant air quotes that does rely mostly on pressure and release applying pressure until you get the desired response and then pulling it back um that has made it seem because it looks kinder um from the outside and because it is supposedly based in horse psychology um and that's also a big air quotes because we know that a lot of the supposed equine psychology behind it has been severely uh debunked or clarified by science um so but it does look nicer and it has provided an alternative and when you work with a horse that way it it seems like oh well this is better than how it used to be this is better than using straight up punishment and this must be the way to go um but then there's also this persistent belief that using tangible reinforcers with horses in other words using something that the horse likes like food is going to mess the horse up that it's bribery is something you hear a lot that it is going to make a horse aggressive or rude and we know that if you're doing the work right that that is absolutely not the case but it is such a common myth that you can't get good results or you can't get good solid behaviors or that the horse will just fall apart if you don't have treats in your hand to put in their face every five seconds um, and that is something that I'm also trying so much um, to help to move away from because it's a it's a hang up that we have in the industry and it's one that we shouldn't have because there's nothing wrong with reward based training for horses. Yeah, no, that's the that's excellent that you're that you're trying to do that. And it's 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 strange to me when these um, myths like that sort of starts because you know, like these people will say that and probably go home and then train their dog with positive reinforcement. And it's like, the, it's the same mechanisms though. These are two very different animals, but at the same day, like we can do that with people. Like it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting that there there's myths like that, that sort of, uh, are still prevalent. Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I hope it does uh, begin to change because it is something that horses are just immensely curious and so intelligent and 
you know, once you, there's so many amazing qualities in them that you miss when you stop working with, with them in particular, because they yeah. can be so personable and they're so, you know, they've spent so much of their time, you know, in recent history around people, they've gotten pretty good at being around people when they're cared for correctly and positive reinforcement mm -hmm. only helps that relationship. So it's, um, it's definitely something that needs to, uh, needs to sort of happen. Um, when was the first time you were exposed to enrichment as an idea? And, you know, how did you sort of get involved in thinking about behavioral husbandry and everything that you do? That's a great question. Um, so I started my career uh, actually in wildlife rehabilitation. And that's a situation where there is, is by design, is very little interaction between your patients and humans um, as, as much as, as you can, right? Because those animals need to be released um, back into the wild. But that also means that they, uh, creating naturalistic spaces is an absolute must as an animal becomes uh, ready for release because they you have to see that they can behave normally and that they are um, at health and that they have their range of motion, right? So I started, um, really with sort of an idea of caring for animals in spaces that promote their natural behaviors. And then moving into um, work at a public aquarium, that is where I really began, like had my eyes open to um, using non, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the quotes again for people who are on audio, big air quotes, non-natural enrichment items, um, and how they can encourage behavior as well. And the idea of using, uh, basically what, what I can refer to as toys, but other items as well and other techniques uh, in a formalized way. And that was amazing because I immediately knew that just behavioral management, training, teaching animals, and encouraging those behaviors in a structured way was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and that that was where all of my energy was like, it was like, oh, this is it. This is the thing. Um, and it's it's been great uh, ever since then, because I think that in the 10 years that I've been doing this, it's been so cool to see the zoo industry change, um, even during that amount of time, yeah, especially absolutely. in the areas that I work in, which is a lot of what I would call underserved taxa. So the aquatic animals, herps, invertebrates, that kind of space. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're definitely underserved and, um, you know, areas that we can all, you can all improve in, but yeah, it is, I've been in the industry about 10 years as well. And it's been, yeah, it's been amazing to see how much it's changed. And, uh, even in that short of time, I, I, can't imagine what it's like for somebody that's worked in the industry for 30, 40 years. It's uh, um, pretty, pretty crazy because people, people were al already talking about enrichment by the time we started um, and pretty heavily. And these programs were already in place in a lot of areas. So um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I hope there's a sort of lag between the domestics and uh, exotics as be we, you know, are funding more and more research into these things and more and more we have better understanding of animal welfare because at the end of the day like animal welfare is still a very misty black box that we just are slowly starting to see into and even things like stereotypic behaviors and uh these stable vices uh, you know in the horse world it's 
there's so much ambiguity around, you know, why they're performing them and how they're starting and what's going on in the brain and all these sort of things. So as those things sort of become more and more clear, I, I really hope that we have this sort of shift between the two industries, because a lot of the time, uh, you know, it, it's usually the opposite way around. Like we, especially in things like nutrition, like um, the the cattle industry and a lot of those uh, industries are really the where a lot of the science is around nutrition and and all th those sorts of things. So I'm hoping that we're able to sort of um, get that sort of transfer between exotics and domestics because um, yeah, it, it is it is so important and and these things aren't aren't very hard and they can have such a pronounced effect in the uh, on the animal's life. So. Uh, um, do you have any advice for people that are looking to deliver better, more effective enrichment and behavioral husbandry for their horse and, you know, for, for animals in general? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say that really it starts with appreciating the, the species needs of horses. And that's, that's going to sound um, a little wonky. It's going to sound a little sciencey, but what it comes down to is knowing that horses do have specific needs and those are, uh, they include movement, they include availability of forage, and they include cohesive social uh, situations and environments, a stable herd structure. And finding the ways that you are maybe not meeting those needs right now. And it is okay because a lot of us start um, we learn how to keep horses and what you do is your horse is stalled for part, maybe even all of the day and they get fed a meal in a bucket, maybe a bit of hay. When the hay runs out, they don't get any more until the next meal. Um, they have turnout. They may be turned out alone um, to keep them safe. And just looking at what horses need to have compared to what your horse has now and then change what you can. And a lot of that may be a simply adding more turnout time. A lot of it may mean adding in a source of hay in a slow feed net, right? So that their weight stays good and their health is great, but they're able to do that natural grazing behavior that they have to have for good health uh, and making sure that they have turnout friends. Um, those are all really, really simple things that you can do. And then there's always going to be times where we cannot meet these needs, right? You may be at a barn where you can't do everything you yeah. want to do. Your horse may be on uh, medical confinement, you know, they've hurt yeah. themselves and they have to be stalled. So at that point, the best thing that I can suggest for people is find ways to meet those needs in the space that you have, and then start bringing in what I would call the fun stuff. Um, once you've done everything mm. you can to meet the foundations and the fun stuff might look like toys and that is okay because toys are fantastic. Yeah. Um, and when you're doing things like that, I think it's, uh, that is how you're going to get your foot in the door and start simple, start safe, do easy stuff. Have you ever seen a horse play with a cardboard box? If your horse has never done this, they should low hanging fruit, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's, that's my best advice is just meet your fundamentals and then start in with easy toy based enrichment, easy things like sense um, visuals and just see what your horse likes and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's 
excellent advice. And I definitely uh, really like to highlight the, you know, feeding aspect of a horse's life because for a grazer, you know, especially if your horse is on getting most of their calories from grain and from different concentrates like that, it is so important because a horse as a grazer, it's not about the calories for them. Like it is about the act of grazing all day. That's what they want to do. And it, it, it doesn't matter if, if you're feeding them these concentrates that have, you know, hours and hours and hours worth of grazing packed into a 15 minute couple bite buckets that you're giving them. That is something that is such an easy low hanging fruit, as you said, to target to that you could make a huge different in the, difference in their life. Feed them more, like dip, feed them small quantities throughout the day. Put them in, put them in a slow feeder or uh, things like that. Like extending that feeding window is so huge for a horse. And if you're putting it in a stall with a bucket of grain, like that's just that's just such a waste of opportunity that you ha that you have there to to really make that feeding experience that much better. And um, uh, yeah, those are that's great advice. And just starting to try stuff is is uh, is a huge part part of this and a part of enriching any animal. Really, like we we don't. There's no playbook a lot of the time for especially for exotics that we're working with. You know, we we just gotta throw stuff at them and see see what sticks a lot of the time. And because you know we've all been there where we spend all day creating fancy enrichment items and we have a very specific natural behavior that we're trying to target. And then we spend days and days and all these resources and then it doesn't even work and you, an animal's just staring at it. So don't be discouraged and just to see what works. It's variety. It's variation. It's all important. So, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, great advice. So what, what, is, what is the biggest mistake you see people make uh, with behavioral husbandry and uh, with enrichment? You know, really what I would say is it's it's way better to do less but do it regularly than it is to say, yeah. I did this experience with my horse only one time. Um, because the benefits of enrichment are going to be encouraging those behaviors and getting that stimulation regularly and not just one time. So the biggest mistake I think that I see people make is they do something cool or maybe they shoot a little too high than their daily routine or their schedule is going to allow. I would rather see horses with cheap or freebie DIY enrichment that they can have on like a regular schedule than something that is complicated or expensive because it doesn't have to be. Um, and not everybody has the time to be there or the budget to make it happen. And so I would rather see little and often um, because any enrichment yeah. is going to be better than none. And that consistency of just giving your horse things that are going to help meet their needs and provide stimulation, super important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and guys, just go on like Pinterest or something and type in horse and DIY horse and Richmond. You'll see all these different things you can make with water bottles and with all, all, all sorts of different things. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, excellent advice. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, you just got to try stuff and, uh, figure out what works and then do it, do it well. And your horse will, will definitely thank you. So, um, yeah. So where can people find you and see what you're up to? Um, well, I have 
Uh, I have a couple of different social media presences. So you can look up Enriching Equines on Facebook. You can look us up on Instagram and then also on Pinterest. Uh, but everything is available on my website. So enrichingequines.com, um, all one word, of course. Uh, it is, so that's my blog where you're going to find all of the enrichment ideas, step-by-step -step instructions. You can search by your goal behavior if you want that stuff, um, what you want to encourage. Um, we have a lot of different resources available, articles on training, um, just the, the whole nine yards. So I would say find me on Instagram and Facebook and then head over to the website, bookmark it because I add new material um, about once a week. Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I will have uh, links for everybody in the uh, show notes as well. So you'll be able to see um, all of the Enriching Equines social and uh, the website. Because, um, yeah, uh, Amanda does some great stuff and creates some great infographics and has some awesome videos and content out there. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, Amanda, this was great. It was a really good uh, podcast. We'll have to have you back because there's always more to talk about. Um, you know, I like talking about horses. So it's uh, excellent that you came on. Uh, thank you for having me, Kyle. It's this has been a lot of fun. It is. It's always so great to talk shop, not just about the horse world, but also about the zoo industry. So not an opportunity I get very often. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and we will see you guys in the next podcast. Thank you.